Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, this is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio and how the tech are ya? You know, there's a good chance you've heard the term ping before. If you're a golfer, you probably associate it with equipment like clubs and bags, but that's not what I'm talking about today. If you're a submariner, well, your concept of ping is closer to what I'll be talking about in this episode. And specifically in this episode, I'm talking about ping as a way to judge network speed between two different machines. Now, with some stuff that, you know, we use in our technical world, the history can be a little muddled or hidden, right? It might be one of those things where we have some common tool that we all use, but no one really documented where that tool came from or who first came up with it. And so we have to use a lot of qualifiers to talk about it. But in this case, we can point to a specific person as the originator of the ping function, at least the first ping function. And that person was Mike Muss. 
sadly Musk passed away in 2000 in a car accident. So uh, that is really a tragedy. Musk seemed like a really entertaining and innovative guy based upon the stuff I've read that he wrote. Musk had studied sonar and radar while he was in college. He had been modeling those systems. And he worked for a while at the Ballistic Research Laboratory, or BRL, which we also have to talk about in the past tense. The Army established the Army Research Laboratory in 1992 that would absorb the old BRL. So the BRL is no more. It is part of the ARL. Anyway, while Musk was working at the BRL, he noticed something hinky seemed to be going on with the IP network within that organization. Now, this was in 1983. And at that point, I figure most folks had never even heard of Internet Protocol or IP. That's what IP means in this case, not intellectual property, but Internet Protocol. I doubt that most people had ever heard of that back in 1983. I know I had never heard it. The concept of the Internet was a pretty foreign one to anyone not working in a military organization, a research institute, or a number of universities that were doing pioneering work in the field. Uh, computer networking in general was something that was a pretty foreign concept to folks. This was early on when people could actually get access to a personal computer, let alone the thought of how do I connect this computer to that computer? So it would take a decade before the rest of us would start to understand that you could actually connect computers together and make a network and then create networks together to create a massive interconnected system, a.k.a. the Internet. But Musk was really familiar with computer networks. He worked on the IP network at BRL all the time. And so when he noticed things weren't quite behaving the way they usually should, he decided to find out what was going on. And to do that, he needed a diagnostic tool that didn't exist. So he had to create a program to do it. Now, he had heard about other methods of testing things like network speed between machines that used other methodologies, but those weren't really applicable to his network. So he had to make the tool from scratch and he programmed it on a Unix system. This is a family of operating systems that computer science scientists uh, at the Bell Labs Research Center of AT&T created back in the 1960s uh, and then ended up releasing it for others to use in the 1970s. So your average person would likely find vanilla Unix to be intimidating because it is a system that programmers made for other programmers for the purposes of being able to create programs uh, within this framework and then used on those machines or similar machines. It is not a particularly user-friendly operating system, at least not if you're someone who's unused to command prompts as opposed to graphical user interfaces or GUIs. Um, back in the day when I first started using computers, command prompts were the way to go. In fact, I remember being incredibly reluctant to move from the DOS system uh, that was in use on IBM compatibles back in the day to migrating to Windows because I thought Windows was a huge waste of resources that your computer had to use so many resources just to run the operating system that it completely hindered the sort of programs you could run on that sort of computer. 
and I did not like the idea of moving from DOS to Windows. These days, if you put me in front of a, a line prompt kind of, <laughs> of, of operating system, I'm sure I would be completely lost. Uh, as I get older, it gets harder to navigate those kinds of things. Anyway, what Musk wanted to do was create a small program that could measure the quote-unquote distance between two different machines. Except we're not really talking about physical distance here, although that can be a factor and we'll get to it. Instead, what we're really talking about is the amount of time it takes for one machine to send a message to a second machine and then receive a message from that second machine. So how long does it take you to send a message out and get a reply back? In that way, it's a lot like an echo. So an echo is when you make or you hear a sound and then you hear that sound repeated. And it happens when sound waves bounce off of some hard, smooth surface. And the smoother and harder the surface, the better it is for creating echoes. So let's say that you are in a, a, a canyon. Maybe it's a box canyon and you got a red base on one end and a blue base on the other and no one can explain why. So you're in this box canyon and you decide to shout, tech stuff rules, or you know, something that you would actually shout. Well, the echoes you would hear are actually the sound waves that you generated that came from you. Those air fluctuations originated from you and then they bounced back to you after they hit the canyon walls. So if you're in a place where there are no hard, smooth surfaces, you're not gonna get an echo. Doesn't matter how loudly you scream, there are no surfaces for the sound to bounce off of and come back to you. It's just gonna travel outward until it's essentially too weak for it to be heard by at least human ears. Now, when we talk about stuff like sonar, we're talking about using sound to get an idea about how far away objects are from the sonar mechanism. And if we break down what sonar is from a, a technical standpoint, essentially what you have is a speaker that emits the sound and a microphone that picks up echoes of the sound and then some sort of system to calculate the amount of time between making a sound and getting the echo. These systems could be human powered or it could be, well, modern systems use computers. But in the old days, it could actually be someone with a stopwatch and uh, very quickly reacting in order to get an idea of how long it took to send a sound out and to get the echo back. This is really useful if, for example, you're in a submarine that doesn't have windows. Most submarines don't because windows are a point of failure and you don't want those when you're in a metal tube that goes under the water. So you use the sonar to beam out a sound. And you know how fast sound travels through water. It's a standard sort of thing. It actually travels faster through water than it does through air. We typically say that sound travels at about 343 meters per second through the air. But in water, it's 1,480 meters per second. So if you send out a sound in a specific direction, and you time how long it takes for the sound to come back to you, and then you essentially divide it by two, you know how far away you are from, say, an underwater cliff face. It's pretty common to call the sonar sound a ping, because that's what it sounds like. 
If you've seen the film adaptation of The Hunt for Red October, you know there's a scene in which Sean Connery, who's playing a Soviet submarine commander, tells his sonar operator, re-verify our range to target. One ping only. Now, in that case, he's using the ping to secretly communicate with the Americans, but he's telling his sonar operator the reason is just to make sure they know exactly how far the Americans are in case they need to fire upon them. Anyway, that's why Musk called his tool a ping. It was using a similar sort of approach. A message goes out from one computer to a different computer. And the message essentially says, hey, send this back to me. And the target computer follows instructions and sends the message back. The amount of time between sending the message and receiving the reply can give you an idea about the network speed between those two machines. If it's slower than expected, something's going wrong. Maybe there's too much traffic on the network. Maybe there is an actual switch that's down somewhere on the network. And it necessitates traffic to route around the issue. So it's really a diagnostic tool for measuring path latency. We'll talk more about latency in just a second. But first, let's take a quick break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Johnny B. Good. And I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? 
I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's talk about latency. You can think of latency as the delay between the cause of something and its effect. I always use video game examples for this because anyone who has played enough video games has experienced this at one point or another. Um, and it's, you know, one of the, the contexts in which we really talk about ping. Anyway, uh, in most video games, you really want the game to respond instantly, or at least appear to be instant, according to our limitations of perception, when you work the controls. So when you push that jump button, you want that lousy little plumber to jump and squash that Goomba, gosh darn it. When there's a delay, so you push the jump button, but the plumber waits a second before jumping, it makes the game way more difficult to play. Uh, some games do this on purpose. Sometimes it's up to the player to try and learn and adjust to the timing of the game, and it was all part of the design. Uh, other games didn't do it on purpose. They're just poorly made, or they're running on inadequate machines, and so there's this latency introduced into the experience, and there's a lag between input and output. Now, Musk decided to create his ping tool back in 1983 on a whim. He didn't intend for it to be some sort of glorified feature that would be put to use countless times afterward. He just thought it was an interesting exercise. He described the ping program as a, quote, thousand-line hack, end quote, and he wrote it in a single evening. And he says that if he had known how much it was going to be used moving forward, he might have spent a little more time and effort in designing it. He also mentions that, of course, in classic <laughs> uh, uh, fate, by the time he finished designing the tool, the original issue that made him think about it in the first place had already been fixed. Someone else had gone into the network, discovered it, and fixed the problem. But the tool's usefulness obviously went beyond the single use case that inspired Musk to create it. Musk also joked about how people tried to interpret ping, the word ping, P-I-N-G, as an acronym. Uh, there was a common assumption in the network admin field that ping stood for packet internet grouper, but Musk dismissed that right away. It was pretty common to create wacky acronyms in government projects. In fact, that's still true to this day. If you look at any law or bill that has like a cool or cool-ish name associated with it, there's a good chance that name is said to represent a tortured acronym. And I am positive that in the overall majority of cases, lawmakers come up with a name for the legislation first 
They come up with their cool name. And then retroactively, they try to justify the name by creating a phrase for which the name is supposedly an acronym. And it's almost always terrible. Anyway, Musk said that's what people were trying to do with Ping. But he was adamant. Ping just stood for Ping, like with Sonar. Now, if you're an online gamer, you're likely very aware of the importance of ping. With online multiplayer games, each player is connecting to a game server. And to be clear, multiplayer games have lots of servers, right? Each game has tons of servers. And it's just that a player logs into a single server uh, into which lots of other players are also logged. And once a server reaches capacity, players will have to connect to other servers. Well, it's pretty common practice to try and log into servers that are geographically close to the player because that helps cut back on latency. Now, it's not always true that the closest server provides the fastest data speeds between the client machine, in other words, the gamer's rig, and the server itself, but it's usually the case. If you log into a server that's halfway across the world from you, that means the messages coming from your machine and going to your machine have to travel halfway across the world. And while data moves very, very fast, it's not instantaneous. So you start to encounter a bit of latency. That latency or lag means there is a delay between when a gamer does something in their game on their machine and when the server finds out about it. And sometimes that lag is enough to cause problems in gameplay. In fact, the lag does not have to be very long for issues to pop up. Well less than a second, in fact. I'll give you an example. So let's say you and I are playing in a one-on-one -on -one first person shooter game. It's me versus you. And you've got me in your sights. You're clear across the map. You've spotted me. You got a sniper rifle. So you take aim at me and you shoot. From your perspective, You've got a clear shot. There's no way you can miss. But then there's this latency. Let's say my connection is lagging just a bit, that I've got a very high ping rate to the game server. And in fact, while you appear to be aiming straight at me, because from your side, the game server thinks that is where I'm at. On my side, I was doing the old serpentine. And the server gets my input commands and the game essentially decides that your shots don't connect because it turns out I wasn't really in the spot where you were aiming the whole time. There are some gamers who use this kind of thing to cheat at games. So back in the early days of Halo 2 multiplayer, there was a tactic called standby. Uh, a lot of modems had a standby feature that would let you temporarily pause a connection to a server. So it was like disconnecting but it was just doing it for a moment. So by using it strategically, Halo 2 players could appear to be in one place in the game because the game server couldn't verify where the player was and so would just essentially keep the player on the course that they were on before the connection severed, but it would hold off on dropping the player entirely in case the connection repaired itself. And so that meant that if other players were trying to do damage to that character, nothing would happen. And once the connection reestablished, the game would reconcile the player's actual position. So to someone else, it would look like your opponent had gone invincible for a few seconds and then would suddenly teleport to a different location. And this got to be a real problem because people were using it to get an unfair advantage over others. 
But generally these days, players do not want a high ping rate. It makes playing the game very difficult. And if you're a really competitive player, like you're in the elite echelons, you really want to minimize all the external factors that could make a game harder. You want things to be a nice level playing field for everyone. So it really is skill versus skill, maybe some luck thrown in, but it's not some external factor that you have no control over giving one party an advantage over the other. So you really want that ping to be low. And by low, I'm talking about milliseconds. Competitive gamers really want a super low ping. Like if you manage to log into a server and you find out that your ping rate is 15 milliseconds or less, that would be amazing. It would also mean you were probably living like a mile away from the game server and you were connecting straight to it. A ping between 15 and 45 milliseconds is really good. I mean, it's not ideal, but it's not enough of a delay to measurably impact the game. Between 45 and 100 milliseconds, you start to get into an, a, an area where the lag can be noticeable. Not necessarily a, a game-breaking mechanic, but you can start to notice little issues. Uh, between 100 and 250 milliseconds, you've got an experience that can make a game unplayable. And beyond 250, you might as well just disconnect and try a different server. But it also depends on what type of game you're playing, right? Not all games are equal. If you're playing a turn-based game, that's not nearly as sensitive to ping issues. Like if one player gets to go and then the other player gets to go and you're not simultaneously battling um, at every moment, then a little delay is not going to be a big problem. It might make the, the gameplay a little irritating, but it's still totally playable. But if you're talking about a Twitch-based first-person shooter-style game, players need really low ping for the game to run smoothly, uh, particularly if you're talking about those elite levels of play. As an example of how this can give one player an edge over another, Imagine a scenario in which two players are about to come into view of each other. Both of them are going to have line of sight to the other player. So like they're both cresting a hill or something. But let's say player one's ping is much lower than player two's ping. That means player one has much less path latency to the game server. That could mean that player one will be able to see player two a moment earlier which can give player one an advantage in the encounter. If you've got two players of similar skill, that could push a fair fight into unfair territory. All right, we're going to take another quick break. When we come back, we'll wrap up this discussion about ping. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought 
in that moment, oh my god, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune into what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Johnny B. Good. And I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of BitCon, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so now we understand that ping is a way to measure the latency between a client machine and a server machine. You could also do it between servers. You know, it's It's really between any two machines that are connected on a network. But what affects ping? What makes ping go from low to high? Well, as I mentioned earlier, physical distance between the client and the server is one thing that can certainly affect ping. The further your information needs to travel to get to a server and then return to get to you, the more latency you're going to encounter. That just makes sense, right? So if you're in the United States, then you're connecting to game servers that are located in Europe, chances are your ping is going to be on the higher side compared to Europeans who are connecting to that same server. The other big factor is the amount of traffic that's on your personal network. Just like with roadways, more traffic leads to congestion and it slows things down. So if you want to jump into war zone while your housemate is busy downloading a ton of 4K films, chances are your ping is going to suffer because your network bandwidth is finite. It's a limited resource. There's only so much of it. 
And if the game is having to fight for some of that bandwidth compared to the downloading of these massive files, that means your ping is probably going to go up as a result. For that reason, there are a lot of pro gamers out there who will have two dedicated network connections, one just for their gaming and the other for everything else, uh, which to me is crazy. But everything about pro gaming is crazy to me because uh, I'm a casual gamer, right? I, I can't imagine dedicating eight hours or more per day to playing, streaming, you know, cutting together videos of my gameplay. That just is, it's daunting to me. Anyway, other things that can affect ping can include the type of connection that you're using. If you've got a hardwired connection that goes straight from your computer to your router, that is going to minimize ping on your end, at least as far as connectivity between router and machine goes. Uh, if your housemate is still downloading the complete works of the Farrelly brothers, you're still going to have issues with ping if, if you're sharing a network connection. If you're relying on Wi-Fi, then things like your distance between your computer and the Wi-Fi router or the fact that there may be walls or ceilings or floors between you and the router, all of that can have an effect on ping. So general rule is you want to be closer to the router rather than further away. And if you can have a hardwired connection, it's better. Again, these really have more of an impact at the higher levels of gameplay. Uh, if you're a casual player, it it can still be something that might you might notice, but it's not likely to have as critical an impact on your level of play. It's also possible for there to be issues beyond your own network that you have no control over. So perhaps your internet service provider's network is having an issue or a network that your ISP connects to. Uh, that might have an issue and there's not much you can do about that other than maybe you can try and switch to a different server to see if the routing between you and that server is better. But if it's a problem with your ISP, if it's between like, if it's in that last mile there's really nothing you can do because everything is is funneling through that last mile connection to your home and you can't step around that, at least not without somehow magically switching to a different ISP. Obviously, if you are reliant on something like satellite networking, then that's going to introduce enormous ping. In fact, with satellite connectivity, you really aren't going to be able to uh, compete in things like first-person shooters because of the latency between messages. I mean, these satellites are in outer space. So it does take a little bit longer for the data to get between you and the satellite than if you were using, you know, fiber optic cable, for example. And that can be enough to make it impossible for you to play the very fast-paced Twitch-based games. You can still play things like uh, turn-based games, maybe even MMOs, that kind of thing. But yeah, for the stuff that's reliant on a very fast connection, uh, you really wouldn't be able to, to manage that. Anyway, that's the story of Ping. Uh, maybe someday I'll do the story of Pong. That was a terrible joke. Also, I have kind of covered the story of Pong when I talked about the history of arcade games. So it was a terrible dad joke and it was moot. So I apologize to each and every one of you. But I hope you enjoyed this episode, this look at what 
ping is, where it came from, why it has that name, and what it means. Um, just the one thing to keep in mind is that you want the number to be low. The higher the number, the greater the latency between you and the machine. Uh, when you do speed tests on your device, like if you've ever wondered if there's an issue with your network and you're, you know, maybe things are taking a long time to download or you're getting a lot of buffering in streaming video and you do a speed test, it's essentially a ping is what's going on. It's, it's uh, although there are more involved speed tests that actually have a, they maintain a connection in order to get uh, essentially an average of network uh, throughput, how, how much data is being able to pass between your computer and the network over a given amount of time. But it's an extension of this ping concept. All right. If you have suggestions for topics I should tackle in future episodes of Tech Stuff, please reach out to me. One way to do that is to download the iHeartRadio app, navigate over to the Tech Stuff page on that app, and click on that little microphone icon that will let you leave a voice message up to 30 seconds in length for me. Or you can pop on over to Twitter and use the handle TechStuffHSW to send me a message. And I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't sister. know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in exactly. to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, right. which is different than empathy. Yeah. Right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now, this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.